Please open your Bibles once again to the book of Daniel, looking at chapter 7, this afternoon focusing on 13 to 28. We're going to read the whole chapter once again, reminding you of the context. Recall from last time that it's, we're rewinding here in chapter 7. Because the first verse said, in the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream. So we're backing up here. I'm going to read the entire chapter. Daniel 7. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions of his head while on his bed. And he wrote down the dream, telling the main facts. Daniel spoke, saying, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea, and four great beasts came up from the sea, each different from the other. The first was like a lion, and had eagle's wings. I watched till its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the earth and made to stand on two feet like a man, and a man's heart was given to it. And suddenly another beast, a second like a bear, it was raised up on one side and had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And they said thus to it, Arise, devour much flesh. After this I looked, and there was another, like a leopard, which had on its back four wings of a bird. The beast also had four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, exceedingly strong. It had huge iron teeth. It was devouring, breaking in pieces, and trampling the residue with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I was considering the horns, and there was another horn, a little one, coming up, from among, them, coming up among them, before whom three of the first horns were plucked out by the roots." And there in this horn were eyes, like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking pompous words. I watched till thrones were put in place, and the Ancient of Days was seated. His garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame, its wheels a burning Fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. A thousand thousands ministered to him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated and the books were opened. I watched then because of the sound of the pompous words which the horn was speaking. I watched till the beast was slain and its body destroyed and given to the burning flame. As for the rest of the beasts, they had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. Here we begin at verse 13. I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. I, Daniel, was grieved in my spirit within my body, and the visions of my head troubled me. 
I came near to one of those who stood by and asked him the truth of all this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of these things. Those great beasts, which are four, are four kings which arise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. Then I wish to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the others, exceedingly dreadful, with its teeth of iron and its nails of bronze, which devoured broken pieces and trampled the residue with its feet, and the ten horns that were on its head, and the other horn, which came up before which three fell, namely that horn which had eyes and a mouth which spoke pompous words, whose appearance was greater than his fellows. I was watching. The same horn was making war against the saints and prevailing against them until the Ancient of Days came and a judgment was made in favor of the saints of the Most High. The time came for the saints to possess the kingdom. Thus he said, The fourth beast shall be a fourth kingdom on earth which shall be different from all other kingdoms and shall devour the whole earth, trample it, and break it in pieces. The ten horns are ten kings who shall arise from this kingdom, and another shall arise after them. He shall be different from the first ones, and shall subdue three kings. He shall speak pompous words against the Most High, shall persecute the saints of the Most High, and shall intend to change times and law. The saints shall be given into his hand for a time and times and half a time. But the court shall be seated, And they shall take away his dominion to consume and destroy it forever. Then the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people, the saints of the Most High. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. And all dominions shall serve and obey him. This is the end of the account. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly troubled me, and my countenance changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. So far, the reading of God's Word. Last week, as we considered Daniel 7, verses 1 through 12, we saw how the visions in this seventh chapter of Daniel run parallel to the dream of Nebuchadnezzar recorded in chapter 2. In that chapter, you'll recall, King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream of a great statue whose form was awesome. It was made up of four sections. The four sections represented successive kingdoms. The head of fine gold was Babylon. The chest and arms of silver was the Medo-Persian Empire. The belly and thighs of bronze represented the Greek Empire under Alexander the Great. And the legs and feet of iron was the Roman Empire. The four metals which make up the statue correspond to the four ferocious beasts of Daniel's vision. The first beast, like a lion with eagle's wings, represents Babylon. The second beast, like a bear who devoured much flesh, is the kingdom of the Medes and Persians. The third beast, like a leopard with four wings and four heads, represents the mighty kingdom of the Greeks. The fourth beast, the most fearsome of all, represents the Roman 
Empire, a kingdom which shattered, devoured, crushed, and trampled everything in its path. And so we saw last week that there are some obvious parallels between Nebuchadnezzar's dream and Daniel's vision. But as you continue to study Daniel's vision, you notice that there are some significant new details that were not found in Nebuchadnezzar's dream. The fourth beast had ten horns. Verse 24 says, the ten horns are ten kings who shall arise from this kingdom. The ten horns of the fourth beast seem to represent various political powers that follow in the wake of Rome, a period of time following the historical Roman Empire. From these political powers comes what? The little horn. It is this little horn that captures our attention, for it has the characteristics of an individual ruler. He is a powerful figure with eyes of a man and a mouth speaking pompous words. It's an individual filled with hatred for God, pride, and self-glory. We said last week that the little horn appears to be the first biblical reference to the individual later described in the New Testament as the Antichrist, the man of sin, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped. The little horn is the lawless one who comes according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders and with all unrighteous deception. What Daniel received in this vision is a survey of history from Babylon to the end of the world. A survey of history from Babylon to the great apostasy and the revealing of the man of sin prior to the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is a portrait of history in which we see nation succeeding nation with an unleashing of the forces of evil in the latter days. Congregation, as we consider this vision of beasts and horns who stand in opposition to God, it might fill us with fear particularly as we consider the evil work of the little horn. If all we had in this chapter was the vision of the four beasts followed by the horns of the little horn, we might be left with a deep sense of foreboding and anxiety. But God gave Daniel something that puts all of history in its proper perspective. Not only did he receive the vision of the four beasts, but he also received the vision of the Ancient of Days. God gave Daniel a glimpse into the throne room of the universe, a vision of himself. Above the fearsome monsters of verses 1 through 8 is the Lord of history upon his throne, the Ancient of Days, described in language that we humans can understand. Verse 9. His garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame, a fiery stream issues from his throne, and 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. Through the vision of the Ancient of Days, the Lord assured Daniel, and he assures you today, that evil will not and cannot triumph. 
The fire that streams from the throne of judgment is a consuming fire through which all evil will eventually be destroyed. And then congregation, as we move on in this chapter to verses 13 and following, we see another vision. The vision of the four beasts is followed by the vision of the Ancient of Days. And the vision of the Ancient of Days is followed by the vision of one like the Son of Man. Today we want to ponder, first of all, the glory of the Son of Man. And secondly, the gravity of the vision. The glory and the gravity. We begin with the glory of the Son of Man. Look with me, please, in your Bibles to verse 13. I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Who is this? Who is this one like the Son of Man? Who is this that comes with the clouds of heaven and is able to approach the Ancient of Days? It is none other than our Lord Jesus Christ. How do we know that? In the New Testament, this was the title that Jesus most frequently used when speaking of himself. Son of Man was Jesus' favorite self-designation. Therefore, brothers and sisters, these verses are among the most fascinating of the Old Testament, for they present to us a vision of Jesus and his glory that is nowhere else in the Old Testament so clearly stated. While the entire Old Testament speaks of Christ, prophesies of Christ, and directs us to Christ, these verses of Daniel 7 are among the clearest expressions of His coming glory. The Lord enabled Daniel to see Jesus Christ in the role of cosmic king and judge. What an amazing vision this must have been for Daniel. Think about it. When he was only a teenager, the mighty armies of Nebuchadnezzar marched into the city of Jerusalem. He took the holy articles from the temple of God and carried them back to Babylon where he put them in the temple of his God. It was Nebuchadnezzar's way of declaring the superiority of the gods of Babylon. It appeared as though Israel's God, Yahweh, crumbled under the Babylonian deities. After all, Jerusalem had fallen to Nebuchadnezzar's armies. What a terrible day it was for Daniel and the young men with him as they were led away captive from Jerusalem to Babylon. But now, with this vision in the first year of Belshazzar, Daniel was reminded again that his God was still in control of history. While Babylon may triumph for a time, and the kingdom of man may triumph for a time, it is only the kingdom of Christ that will abide forever. The one like the Son of Man is more than a mere man. And his kingdom is more than a mere human kingdom. The one like the Son of Man is also God. He is the God-man. And the establishment of his kingdom cannot be hindered by Nebuchadnezzar or Belshazzar or any other world empire. Now, 
Let's have a look for just a moment at this title, Son of Man. As I said, this was Jesus' favorite self-designation. As you know, there are many titles for Jesus in the New Testament. He is called the Good Shepherd, the I Am, Lord, Christ, Son of David, Master, Teacher, the Alpha and the Omega, the Great High Priest, the Prophet, the Lamb of God, the Lion of Judah, and many others. Jesus had more titles than any other person in history. But the one that he chose to use for himself is this title of verse 13, Son of Man. He applied the title to himself on more than 40 occasions. Why did Jesus choose this title above all others? Some theologians have said that it was used to veil his messiahship by emphasizing his humanity. Because he is described in the Bible as son of man and son of God, some theologians have assumed that son of man refers to Jesus' humanity and son of God refers to his deity. That's a fairly common understanding. However, it's not as simple as that. While the title Son of Man aligns him with humanity, its primary reference is actually to Jesus' divine nature. Jesus did not use his title primarily as an expression of humility, but as a claim to divine authority. When you study the New Testament, you can see how Jesus understood this title. First of all, it is clear that he used this title to teach his pre-existence. He used this title to teach his pre-existence. In John chapter 6, verse 62, Jesus spoke these words. Listen. What then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? In John 3.13, he said, No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is, the Son of Man. Before Jesus came down to earth, he was where? He was with the Father in heaven. He did not come into existence when he was born of the Virgin Mary. He existed from eternity. Son of Man is used to express his pre-existence. Secondly, not only is this title used to express his pre-existence, but it was also used by Jesus to teach his role in the final judgment. What did he say in John 5, verse 26? Within the context of the final day, he said this, For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself. Now hear this and has given him authority to execute judgment also because he is the Son of Man. Because he is the Son of Man. We find the same thing in Matthew 16, verse 27, where Jesus said, For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he will reward each according to his works. Mark 8:38 For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him the son of man also will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his father with his holy angels 
Mark 13, 26. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. Turn with me, please, in your Bibles to Matthew 26. Keep your finger in at Daniel and turn, please, to Matthew 26, 64. Very striking passage. At Jesus' trial, Caiaphas asked him whether he was the Christ, the Son of God. Now look at his answer. Look at his answer. Matthew 26 at verse 64. Jesus said to him, It is as you said. Yes, it is as you say. Nevertheless, I say to you, hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Now please keep it open there for a moment. Jesus' response to Caiaphas was an obvious reference to Daniel 7 verses 13 and 14. He was acknowledging that he was the exalted figure, the divine king prophesied by Daniel. He was saying to Caiaphas, yes, I am indeed the Messiah. And someday you will see me as such. You will see me glorified with my Father in heaven. And you will witness my coming to earth again as your judge. Jesus knew that a time would come in which the roles would be reversed. Jesus would be the judge, and Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin would be the accused. Jesus knew that the Son of Man would be exalted to the right hand of the Most High. When he returns on the clouds of heaven, his accusers will be the accused, and his judges will be judged. Notice that Caiaphas knew exactly who Jesus was claiming to be. Look at verse 65. Caiaphas knew exactly who Jesus was claiming to be. After Jesus spoke these words, Caiaphas, what? Tore his clothes, saying, he has spoken blasphemy. What further need do we have of witnesses? Look now, you have heard his blasphemy. And they condemned him to death. Caiaphas understood that Jesus was claiming to be the fulfillment of Daniel's prophecy, the exalted figure, the heavenly person, the cosmic judge, the supreme king who will come on the clouds. Blasphemy! He has spoken blasphemy! And so the title Son of Man is loaded with theological significance. It is a title of authority. A title that speaks of his pre-existence and a title that expresses his role as universal king and judge. He is a man, but he is also God. He is the divine human judge. Now, getting back to the words of our text, let's go back to Daniel. What is it that Daniel saw concerning the Son of Man? What did he see in this night vision? Look again to Daniel 7, verse 13. Daniel 7, 13. I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. The one like the Son of Man was brought near, presented before the Ancient of Days. But how is this possible? 
How is this possible? How could he approach the Ancient of Days? Verses 9 and 10 tell us that his throne is made of the fire of his judgment. Streaming from the throne is the power to destroy. Surrounding the throne are a multitude of glorious creatures. How could the one like a son of man approach such an awesome throne? Why was he not consumed, given to the burning flame? Who can approach that throne without being destroyed by the fiery stream that issues forth? Congregation, this tells us something wonderful about Jesus Christ. He is able to stand in the presence of God without being destroyed by the fire of his judgment. Anyone else would be consumed, but not Jesus Christ. The fact that he was able to pass through the thousands who surround the throne and be presented before the Ancient of Days, the fact that he could approach the fiery throne indicates that he is acceptable to the Father. He is worthy to enter his presence. Through his perfect obedience, through his victory over sin, death, and the grave, through his death, resurrection, and ascension, he proved himself worthy to enter the most holy place. He can approach the throne. Why? Because he is without sin. Because he is without sin. What a tremendous thought that is, congregation. For if you trust in him, if he is your representative, then you too can approach the fiery throne of the Ancient of Days without being consumed in his wrath. Jesus has gone before you, proving that the way is open for all who follow him. If you are united to Christ, then you can approach the throne as one who is entirely sinless. The fire of God's holy indignation has already fallen on the sun at Calvary. Therefore, it will not consume those who are purchased by Jesus Christ. People of God, Daniel was able to see all of this five and a half centuries before Jesus was even born into this world. Through this vision, he was able to see the completed and accepted work of Christ more than five and a half centuries before the cross, the tomb, and the resurrection. And he was also able to see the dominion which the Son received from the Ancient of Days. Look with me in your Bibles to verse 14. Then to him was given dominion and glory, and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. Here we are reminded of the words of Jesus just prior to his ascension. What did he say? Before he ascended, he said to his disciples, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. The Ancient of Days grants to the Son of Man a glorious, universal, everlasting dominion. What could not be said of any other kingdom? Not Babylon, not Medo-Persia, 
not Greece and not Rome, is said of the kingdom of the Son of Man. It is an everlasting dominion. It shall not pass away. It shall never be destroyed. This is the rock of Nebuchadnezzar's dream in chapter 2. The stone cut out without hands. The stone that struck the image and crushed it into powder. This is the stone that became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Brothers and sisters, what an amazing vision Daniel had that night. While serving under the rule of Belshazzar, he was able to see the coming dominion of one far greater than Belshazzar, the Son of Man, the King of Kings, the God-Man who will rule forever. A glorious kingdom, a universal kingdom, an everlasting kingdom. Now perhaps you would expect that after having seen such a vision, Daniel would be filled with overflowing joy and thanksgiving. The Ancient of Days on the throne, the Son of Man is given universal dominion. What great reason to celebrate! But what was his response to this vision? Did he celebrate? What was his reaction? We move from the glory of the Son of Man, point number one, to the gravity of the vision, point number two. The gravity. We learn from verse 15 that when the vision was ended, Daniel was what? Grieved, troubled, anxious in his spirit, within his body, and the visions of his head troubled him. He was deeply disturbed by what he saw. Why was he so troubled? Wasn't he excited about the, the glorious, glorious God and majestic, triumphant Savior? Why the grief in his spirit? I think we find the answer in verses 15 through 28. There were certain aspects of the vision that alarmed him. While the ultimate victory will be Christ, which is certainly reason to celebrate, the events leading up to that victory will be extremely painful for the people of God. To receive greater insight into the vision, Daniel turned to one of the heavenly beings and asked for an explanation. Verse 16. The heavenly attendant told him that the four beasts are four kings or empires. Then he went on to say in verse 18 that the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. The saints are who? Believers who will share in the eternal kingdom of Christ. Those who belong to him will share in his dominion. That's good news, very good news. Again, reason to celebrate. However, Here's the bad news. Before that dominion is realized, the saints will experience a time of intense darkness, surrounded by the forces of evil. We learn more of this in verses 19 and following. Daniel expressed a particular interest in the fourth beast, the ten horns and the little horn. The fourth beast, verse 19, was different from all the others 
exceedingly dreadful with its teeth of iron and its nails of bronze which devoured broken pieces and trampled. But of greater interest than the fourth beast or the ten horns was the little horn, the horn which had eyes and a mouth which spoke pompous, boastful words. This little horn was greater than the ten horns which preceded it, and its power was unprecedented. We learn from verse 21 that this horn makes war against the saints and prevails against them, defeating them. Then go to verse 25. Verse 25, he shall speak pompous words against the Most High, shall persecute, oppress the saints of the Most High, and shall intend to change times and law. Then the saints shall be given into his hand, handed over to him for a time and times and half a time. We have already said that the little horn seems to be the first biblical reference to the Antichrist, the man of sin, the son of perdition. The little horn represents an individual who stands both against Christ and in the place of Christ. Towards the end of the world, there will be the arrival of this little horn, a single blasphemous individual with a burning hatred for God and his people. He will be more wicked and vile than anything that this world has ever seen. He will exalt evil as no one before him has ever done. He will hate and disregard God's law. He will use his power in such a way that the people of God will be unable to stand before him. His influence and power will rise to such a degree that it will seem as though evil has triumphed over all that is godly and righteous. He will prevail against the saints and the saints shall be given into his hand. Congregation, all of history is moving toward the emergence of the little horn. It will be a time of terrible trials for the church of Jesus Christ. There will be few places to turn, few places to flee or hide. Towards the close of this present age, the man of sin will wage war on the church. The church will be broken, bruised, and battered. Its visible form will even well nigh disappear. The impression that these verses give us is that it will be similar to what has been experienced in China only worldwide. As you know, Christians in China have experienced times of great persecution. Raids on worship services, imprisonment and torture of, of Christian leaders has been common in that country. Chinese pastors have received long-term prison sentences for preaching the word. Many have been murdered for their faith. We had a Chinese girl in our home on Good Friday who was part of an underground church. She knows what it's like to worship in secret. Several years ago, the New York Times stated that Christians in China were being beaten, hanged by their limbs, tortured with cattle prods or electric drills, and their fingertips crushed with pliers. The reports that have come out of China over the years are shocking. 
It has certainly demonstrated the spirit of the little horn, namely, hatred of God, hatred of Christ, hatred of the law and the gospel, hatred of the church, hatred of believers. And it's certainly not only in China. It has been said that more Christians have been martyred in the 20th century than in the past 19 combined, mostly at the hands of communist and Islamic regimes. In 2022, Christian organizations were reporting that at least 360 million Christians experienced high levels of persecution and discrimination for their faith. This was 20 million higher than 2021. They also estimated that the number of Christians killed for their faith rose to 5,898 in 2022, up from 4,761 in 2021. In countries like North Korea, Afghanistan, Somalia, Libya, Nigeria, Saudi Arabia, and many others, people are routinely harassed, arrested, imprisoned, or even killed. We don't know, brothers and sisters, we don't know how privileged we are to live in a land of freedom. We can't even imagine that such things are happening throughout the world. But these are precisely the kinds of things that we can expect during the season of the little horn. There will always be Christians There will always be Christians, for nothing can destroy God's remnant. But all open forms of organized Christianity will be well nigh gone. It will appear as though Satan has triumphed. Those will be terrible, terrible days when the saints shall be given into his hands. Verse 25. You can understand then why Daniel was grieved and troubled. Even though he would not live to see those horrible times, he was genuinely concerned for the church of Jesus Christ and the people of God who would suffer under the persecution of the little horn. Because he loved the church of the living God, Daniel was troubled in spirit and his countenance changed. Verse 28. Do we have that kind of concern for the church of Christ? Do we sincerely confess with the hymn writer, I love thy church, O God. For her my tears shall fall, for her my prayers ascend, to her my cares and toils be given, till toils and cares shall end. Thankfully, the season of the Antichrist is limited. How long will the little horde exercise his devilish power? The end of verse 25 says, have a look there, the end of verse 25, for a time and times and half a time. Some have arrived at the conclusion that this is three and a half years, time, times, and half a time. I am more inclined to understand this as a period of time that is cut short through divine intervention. What it signifies is that just when it appears as though evil has reached its peak, just when it appears as though the Antichrist is indestructible, the Ancient of Days will suddenly bring his activities to a halt. God will cut him off at the very height of his power. 
However you may interpret time and times and half a time, the main point of verse 25 remains unchanged. The day will come when the little horn will be destroyed. The day will come when the little horn will be destroyed. Praise God. Look at verse 26. But the court shall be seated. They shall take away his dominion to consume and destroy it forever. Evil will not triumph, and the saints will not be persecuted indefinitely. The little horn will not speak its arrogant blasphemies indefinitely. His dominion will be taken away to consume and destroy it forever. One word from the Ancient of Days, and the little horn will be restrained and subdued never to rise again. And then, brothers and sisters, the situation will be reversed. Those who were oppressed, despised, and persecuted will be despised and persecuted no longer. Those who are oppressed, despised, and persecuted will be despised and persecuted no longer. The saints will possess the kingdom. How does verse 27 conclude this vision? Have a look. Verse 27, then the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people, the saints of the Most High. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and all dominions shall serve and obey him. The little horn will not triumph. The Antichrist will be destroyed by the fire that streams from the throne. And the saints will reign with the Son of Man whose kingdom will never be destroyed. The saints, you who have trusted the Savior, will reign with Jesus. Never again will the powers of evil trouble the saints. For all evildoers will suffer justly and eternally in hell. congregation until that day of victory arrives we need to prepare ourselves our children and our grandchildren for times of testing trials and tribulations we may have a very rough ride ahead of us we don't like suffering do we everything within us recoils at the thought of persecution we don't want pain we don't like to stand on our own contrary to what is popular we don't like to be different. I wish I could tell you this afternoon that all will be easy sailing, that your Christian life will be without pain and suffering, but I cannot do so. We cannot be naive or put our heads in the sand when it comes to the reality of evil. We may be living at a time when things are, are relatively peaceful for Christians here in North America, but that may soon change. The little horn will persecute the saints of the Most High. Then pray that you and your children and your grandchildren will be faithful. Teach your children. Teach them the scriptures. Bring them to church. Bring them to catechism. Memorize the Bible with them. Sing the gospel with them. 
and pray for those who are at this very moment under the powers of evil suffering for their faith. May the concern of Daniel for fellow believers be our concern. And then remember, congregation, that in the midst of the storms, the storms that may howl against you, your gaze must always penetrate beyond the present and the horizontal to the throne of God and to the Son of Man who possesses all authority. The little horn is not sovereign. Jesus Christ is sovereign. And one day every knee will bow before his authority. All peoples, nations, and languages will worship him. Those who love him and submit to him by repenting and believing the gospel will share his glory. Then fix your gaze toward him. Fix your eyes on the Ancient of Days and on the Son of Man, the Lord Jesus Christ. His kingdom is the one which shall not be destroyed. Our risen and exalted Master said to the persecuted church in Smyrna, Revelation 2, verse 10, Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Be faithful, be faithful by the grace of God. Let us pray. Lord, our God, we look to you for grace and strength to stand in the midst of the storms. We don't like it when we hear these things. And like Daniel, our hearts can become troubled and anxious. But we pray, Heavenly Father, that by the power of your Holy Spirit, we will stand regardless of what may come upon us. We pray that we may be true to you, that we would have whatever may come upon our path and regardless of the powers of the Antichrist, that we may have our gaze upon the Ancient of Days, that by faith we may look into the throne room, that we may fix our eyes upon the Son of Man, that cosmic King and Judge, and that our hearts may be strengthened. We pray that we, your people here today, that we would be faithful, faithful, if necessary, even unto death, anticipating that by your great kindness and mercy you will give us the crown of life. We look forward to the day when all evil will be banished when the little horn will be utterly destroyed from the fire that streams from the throne of the Ancient of Days. We thank you, Lord, that we can see the Son of Man approaching the Ancient of Days, providing us with the confidence 
that we too one day, because of his finished work, may enter into the very holy of holies because he has opened the way for us. Teach us, strengthen us, change us, convict us by the power of your word and spirit and may we live our lives the few years that we have here for the praise and honor of that cosmic king, the son of man, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.